Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. Uh, as Thank you, Anne. As we gather, there's a couple of things I just want to say. Uh, first off, uh, it was so great to be back last Sunday uh, with a brilliant uh, Sunday morning, be back in your presence after being away. Uh, I know Indigenous Month was led by a variety of people and great leadership was shown. Uh, during that month, and it was so great. Uh, I was uh, away at my son's wedding. I have four kids, and my oldest got married, Jesse. Uh, and so 40 of us uh, ventured to Portugal to, for that wedding. People say, did he marry a Portuguese woman? No, they just like the wine in Portugal. <laughs> and so we gathered there, uh, about 40 of us for this, and I, I presided over the wedding. Uh, Jesse's mom did the legal wedding in uh, Calgary. She's the United Church minister as well. I did the public wedding there. And he said to me, uh, we have two requests. It's got to be short and don't talk about God. So, uh, so I managed to do that, although I'm told I mentioned God twice unknowingly. Um, and someone who overheard me telling this story, that sounds like Hillhurst United Church, short and don't talk about God. But anyway, that was Bryce Payton's take on it. It was a great time to travel with my kids. Uh, those who have children will know that time with your kids is so great. Charlotte and I had time in Portugal, uh, beach time, play time, and then the wedding at a vineyard. Uh, then she and I took off on her own to Barcelona, to Spain, which I'd never been to and totally loved. Uh, and you know, there's a, a, a Grada de Familia. I don't know if you've heard about the Great Cathedral. Okay, they've been renting it, renovating it for several hundred years. So if you're worried about us taking two years to get this going, you know, relax. Uh, we got it under control. It's gonna, it won't be uh, tourist site years down the road, but nonetheless, it was such a great place to be there. Uh, and there was time then, uh, Charlotte flew home with my other son, Josh, who was there. And uh, I had time with my 25-year-old daughter, just she and I, motorbiking uh, and biking and this wonderful time, she and I hooking up with my son and his new wife uh, for a few days. So it was just a lovely time away and uh, I really appreciate the space and time that that offered me. And so people have asked me, I thought I would just tell you that way. It was just a terrific time to be away uh, at this wedding. The other thing I want to say is, if you're looking at my hand saying John's taken up smoking, no. Uh, I'm doing some stripping, uh, part-time job, uh, <laughs> stripping furniture, and uh, so I couldn't get it off this morning. Yes, I smell like Varisol, so there you go. But the third thing I want to say is, uh, today we're looking at an old text, and probably as you heard Anne say, the Good Samaritan, you maybe you dozed off, hopefully not, because you read it so beautifully, but this familiar story uh, about helping. And so my task at this point in this sermon is to have us thinking about how important helping is. And so my question for you is this, for somebody near you. Who's helped you lately? Or who have you helped? That's it. Has somebody helped you lately or have you been able to help them? And we're going to give you just a minute or two to talk to each other around. So think of somebody who's helped you or something you've done to help someone. As an example, some people brought some flowers today. That was a help to the church. Helping. How's helping working in your life? Well, we don't have anybody to dingle the, can the piano, so you just got to talk to each other. Would you mind just meeting somebody? When's somebody helped you lately, or when have you helped? Uh, thanks for that. I hate to interrupt, but I just wanted to be thinking about how important that is, and indeed what this story is about. But let's not say we know the punchline of the story just yet. I need you to pray for me. This is really tough being, doing, being back, and I feel like I need your prayers. So uh, let us pray. 
here we are. Some of us are scared, I am. Some of us are nervous, I am. Some of us catch our breath and feel at peace, I am. Some of us are curious, I am. Whoever we are, O oh God, help us to rest in the power of your presence to hear the right word for the living of our journey. In gratitude we say, Amen. I'm pretty confident that if I went into Starbucks and said to the Starbucks person, do you know the story of the Good Samaritan? I think most would say yes. Although these days I'm not so sure. I, I shouldn't be so smug as to assume we know that story. I remember when the VST professors were here a number of years ago and, the, and Harry Myers said, uh, you all know the prodigal son story. And then someone had the courage to go, nope. And he had to tell that story that we all assume in the religious world. But the word Good Samaritan certainly is on the lips of people in the religious community and I think in the world as we think about what it means to be a helper, a Good Samaritan. And I think we kind of go to this story as though we already know the punchline. We just got to wait to the end of the sermon and then John's going to give us the punchline, which we already know already. Why did we sit here anyway? But I love this old story because these old stories, which I did not choose today, but was chosen in the lectionary, will be preached at other United Churches, Presbyterian, Anglican, United Catholic Churches. This text, this story was chosen for today. And so when I saw it appear, I thought, ah, this is a divine gift bringing this ancient story. But it's so important in this story to say, why did he tell this story anyway? And if you heard the detail in Anne's reading, it was a lawyer who was trying to debate perhaps trick Jesus, looking perhaps for the answer to the religious pathway. What do I got to do? I'm pretty sure I've done it all, as he opens his file. What do I have to do to get eternal life? Now, when they're posing that question, eternal life, they're not saying, what do I have to do to get a good seat in heaven? Eternal life in the scriptures is not about the life after, but this life right here. What do I have to do right now, right here? And so Jesus smugly says to himself, well, what does the law say? And the person responds, think, oh, God, I'm glad I studied late last night. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, great. Then the person says, thinking they're going to trick Jesus, but hey, Jesus, who's my neighbor? About to turn and walk away, Jesus, in Jesus' great sage wisdom, enters into the storytelling, which is the reading and did. The story, as you know, most of you, I'm sure, I hope, would know the story of a man who's going down the road. He's suddenly uh, captured by robbers who beat him and leave him half dead on the road. And then some other travelers going down the road see what they see on the side of the road. This person bloodied and almost dead, see what's coming and quickly turn the other way and walk the other way. And then if it wasn't just the chair of the board of Hillhurst United Church who did that, it was the minister himself who was going down the road, sees what's going on and decides to turn and go the other direction. But who should pop into the story but a Samaritan, a foreigner? And the Samaritan sees this person and quickly runs right over 
to this person, bandages up their wounds, he holds them, puts them on their own horse and takes them to an inn and says to the innkeeper, look, take care of this guy. I got two denarii and if there's any expenses left over in the fridge, I'll take, I'll take care of them tomorrow. I will be back. Take care of them. Jesus says to the lawyer, so who is the neighbor? And the neighbor replies, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, bingo. Go and do likewise. So that's the story you know and you knew. And that's the sum of the 613 legal religious requirements in the book of Leviticus. All summed up in a phrase, love the Lord your God with all your heart your soul and your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus tells this story because he's all against people who have a checkbox religion. Those who are doing the checkbox to see that they are indeed pure, they are indeed following the rules, so they'll get someday a spot in heaven. And Jesus says, no, it's how you take care of one another now here on earth. But most of all, Jesus is telling this story is everybody's got a concept of who their neighbor is, who they have to take care of. And in this story, each one has got their own particular understanding of neighbors, and Jesus wants to expand this understanding of neighbors. And the people in this story are so important. And so for me, the question is, who are you in the story? Are you the robbers? Are you the one laying on the road? Are you the one who turned the other way? The one that turned the other way, or the one who attended to it. Every biblical story, you should pose the question to yourself, who am I? The first people in this story are the robbers. They have a very small worldview. Their basic motto for their group of the robbers is, what's yours is ours. What's yours is ours. And they will take whatever they can for themselves. What yours is ours. And your mind might wander to perhaps that we're seeing this on a global scale when we see Russia invading, invading Ukraine. What's yours is ours. We'll take it. We'll have it. No matter what the world says, we will take yours. And now it's ours. But let's not be so smug as just to simply say it's them. We are certainly learning about through the doctrine of discovery about how in this doctrine of discovery land was discovered in the name of Christianity often and people's land was stolen from them, taken from them in the doctrine of discovery. There's a great quote I read on this this week. It says, people will do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it with religious conviction. And so the robbers are the ones who steal. They're the ones who will be all about their religion, their nation, their race. It's all about our group taking what we need for ourselves, often driven by fear. The motto is, what's yours is mine. Are you a robber? Been a robber? Part of systems that rob. The second is the religious leaders. Now, they have a very rigid understanding of togetherness. Their motto is, what's ours is ours. That's the Levite priest. That's the United Church minister. That's the chair of the board. That's, that's the, the people who think perhaps, I use that jokingly, perhaps those who think they've got it and everyone else is out. 
The religious right is so good at this because they don't want to be in the muddy, dirty ditch. They want to stay clean. They want to stay safe. They want to take care of their group and keep people at a distance. You see, separate is what their goal is in this task. And some people, some people want a religion that keeps some in and some out. And it goes totally against what Jesus was about because in a world that was all about who's in and who's out, who's right and who's wrong, who's clean and who's unclean, Jesus welcomed all. This is the purity system that Jesus wanted to fight against. But this motto, ours is ours. And the third, of course, is the Great Samaritan. The Great Samaritan has this beautiful motto and philosophy of life. It's what's mine is God's. What's mine is God's. And this Good Samaritan has a generosity, a humility. They would probably be whistling or singing the hymn, Draw the Circle Wide. They're the one who take their emotion and put it into motion. They cross the road, cross the divide, go against the turn so that they might help and indeed serve someone who's in need. You see, the Samaritan goes against the convenience, which is to go the other way, to be inconveniently helpful. He offers first aid of oil and wine. He puts the bloody person on his own horse. He takes him to a hotel for two denarii, which is essentially $200, and then says, if that's not enough, I'll be back tomorrow to check it out, because I will make sure this person is okay. I pledge to take care of them. You see, the Good Samaritan's motto was this, what is mine is God's. What is mine is God's. And there's a certain release in that. There's a certain humility in that. There's a certain perception in that that sees what is ours is actually God's, not mine. So the Good Samaritan says, I'll get involved in the world in messiness with generosity, extravagance, sacrificially. It's expansive, difficult, messy, and very inconvenient because what's mine is God's. And so whether you're a robber or a Levite priest or a Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan in this story just reminds us how wide God's love is, how good religion expands who's in and who's out. So you're wondering, could you please make this a little bit practical? Okay, I'll try, just so you know. Last Monday in the United States, we were all horrified about the shooting on July 4th. And I don't know about you, but as I read the stories this past week where five were, five were killed and two dozen were wounded, I saw a story about Aidan McCarthy. Do you know who that is? Anybody? Aidan McCarthy is two years old. And Aidan McCarthy was at that parade. And Aidan McCarthy's parents, mother and father, were both shot and killed. And someone saw Aidan and picked Aiden up, a woman, picked Aiden up and took him to a man and handed him the man and said, take this child. And then in her own shock and grief, she just hid. And the man took Aiden and took that child home to take care of him during this incredible shooting. When they find out finally who his grandparents are, the grandparents are saying they will take care of him. Someone had the wisdom and the courage to set up a GoFundMe campaign, and now there's indeed $2 million of resources, of Good Samaritan resources to take care of. Now, the money's not going to replace 
the care of Aidan's parents and the storytelling about what took place. But in that crazy, awful, wicked environment, there were two people who had the wisdom to take care of Aidan and be a good Samaritan to Aidan. It's the generosity of taking him in a crisis and ensuring his future that is an act of good Samaritan. The second is yesterday I came in for a wedding, a very small wedding. There were 20 people here. We did the service, but when I pulled up on my bike, I thought, did I get the time wrong? There's so many people around. I thought this was going to be a small wedding. There's hundreds of people here. I went into the gym, and I asked the Welcome Center for Calgary. We were hosting it yesterday. We had volunteers from our church here. It was a hot, sweaty, stinky gym yesterday, and over 300 Ukrainians came yesterday to your church to receive support and direction for courses. In this church, we have 25 ESL volunteers, 15 host families, 26 people were here yesterday volunteering, and your church has put up $34,000 for the refugees in this particular situation. That's an act of a community being a good Samaritan for the community. Well, if that's not enough, on Monday I was at, uh, Monday or Tuesday, I can't remember, there they are yesterday. You don't get the smell there in the video picture, but trust me, it was hot and sweaty. The Climate Hub, the Calgary for the Alliance for the Common Good, we're part of the Calgary Alliance for the Common Good that has part of its mission to go to City Hall when issues come up that we want them to know we care about. And on Monday or Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday, a small band of, say, six or eight from this church joined a small band of 75 people to be there as we were going to say, we, with green scarves around our net, support the climate strategy of the city, that the city hall was going to debate. And politicians have said, we know when the Alliance for the Common Good shows up. We know when we see you sitting there with your scarves that we better pay attention. And indeed, they pay attention because the Good Samaritan says what ours is God's and this is God's earth, and we have to take care of it. And so in that motion, that's a good Samaritan motion. Now, when I was talking about what I was going to talk about today about uh, the Good Samaritan, our friend Andrea says, I got a story about that. And I said, well, Andrea, why don't you tell us this story? This is a great story about the Good Samaritan. Uh, so a few years ago, I was in downtown Vancouver. I was going to the Paul Simon concert. And uh, my favorite Paul Simon song is Diamonds on the Soles of Her Shoes, obviously. And uh, I was wearing these little clippy cloppies. They were sparkly shoes. They had a big heel on them. And I was walking. Uh, I got about a block away from the stadium, and the heel on one of them snapped. And if you have ever worn a pair of heels where the heel is snapped, you know this was an absolute travesty. And uh, the heel snapped, and I was wobbling along. And the person that I was with at the time said, just said, come on, like, hop along, it's fine. And a girl that walked by was like, what are you going to do? I was like, I don't know. And this girl walked up behind me, and as she was walking up, she said, here, take mine. And as she was walking, she was already unbuckling the shoes. It wasn't, do you want to take mine? It was, here, take mine. And I looked at her, and I said, what are you going to wear? And she's like, oh, don't worry, I just got a pedicure. And she had those little paper flip-flops. Like, they're practically like the ones they give you at the hospital. And she's like, it's fine, I'll just wear those. She's like, these would look so much better on you. And she handed them to me and said, I'll give you my phone number, you can return them whenever. And she went on her way, and the shoes fit perfectly. And it wasn't that she gave me what she could, it was the fact that she gave me the best of what she could. She, should, like, she could have given me the paper flip-flops, but she gave me the shoes that were off of her feet. And her name was Jessica, and we love her. <laughs> 
totally. It's, sometimes it's just that. Sometimes, literally, people take their shoes off their feet or the coat off their back to be a good Samaritan. You know, after I've been uh, traveling a bit this past month, I've come back and I'm st starting a small campaign. I'm not going to run for office because my campaign you're not going to like. But here's the campaign. It's three T's so far. First is, I think we should get rid of all the stoplights in the city and have roundabouts, or I'll call them turnabouts, because the traffic flows. Number two, this, this country, this province needs to be about our tourism. What a beautiful place we live. And so the second T is trains. We need to have trains to get people not in their cars, but from place to place. And you're really not going to like this one, I'm going to say it anyway. I think it's time that Alberta had a small sales tax. Because all across this country, people are relying on a small sales talk to help us with the various things that help make our city and our country and our province better. And so those three T's, tax turnarounds and train soon. But the thing about it is, the thing I realized when I traveled was this, and you know this, you know this already, that people when you're traveling, help matters. And there's something about when you're traveling that people who help you when you're traveling make the place. The people make the place. You can be in the most beautiful place in the world, but if the people are rotten, the place becomes rotten. And the very first night that Charlotte and I uh, flew from uh, Calgary to London and spent 14 hours uh, in the Gatwick airport, yes, I fell asleep on that dirty floor, uh, and yes, we went to two places trying to kill time. There's only so many times you can go to Starbucks and it feel good. Anyway, uh, then we got the notice, and you know how this goes. They put up the note when you're going to go, and it's kept getting delayed, delayed, delayed. After 16 hours of being in that airport, finally, EasyJet. There's nothing easy with EasyJet, even Air Canada, even Air Canada, EasyJet. Uh, it's our flight, so of course we race and we run only to stand in line. And there's no by zone entry, it's just everybody charge on your plane. So of course we charge on the plane and we sit there for another two hours. And then we fly the three hours we had to get to Portugal. We start landing at two in the morning. Our car rental is completely gone. We took a taxi to the place. We get to the Airbnb to meet my daughter and my phone's dead. So we're standing there looking at this place. I don't have a code, no way to do this. And we hear these people coming down the street. And it's, you know, very late in the morning. And I'm thinking, they're going to be awfully, they've probably had a really good night. But nonetheless, I just said, hey, would you be willing to help us? And these young people came over and through their broken English and my terrible Spanish, we managed through a hotspot, which I've learned lots about, you know what that is, but basically where they could awake, they could connect to my phone got us the code and got us into the place. And I never had the best shower and sleep that night. But that happened over and over and over and over again. When you travel and people help you, when they are a good Samaritan to be inconvenient, to be messy, to be late, to be willing to help, you indeed are helped in that place. So you see, there's all kinds of helping that happens. And yes, you might call it good Samaritan, and it's not swarmy. Because during these last two years of COVID, you know someone who's helped you. Someone who texted you at the very critical moment you needed it. Someone who dropped by and honestly something in your door. Someone who took a moment just to listen to you. Someone who called you. And these little bits of helping are perhaps the greatest thing you could ever imagine. And this story Jesus told was to remind us that that helping matters. And so at the end of it all, what would Jesus' motto be? Go.
and do likewise. May God be with us as we seek to go and do likewise. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.